Okay, let's pray for Phil as he comes to speak to Thank you, Father. You're a good God, and you have a good word for us today. So we pray for Phil. Thank you that you have inspired and filled him with your spirit. Thank you that you have given him a word to share with us today. So we pray that as he speaks, we shall receive it. We shall understand Thank you, Father, you shall give us open hearts, open minds, that we will receive everything that you have for us today. Thank you for Phil, that he will continue to inspire and guide him and fill him with your spirit, that he may pursue your purpose and fulfill your purpose for his life. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Bless you. We're a step. We're a step nearer our move. Um, happy and a sad time. Uh, we signed our contract to sell yesterday and uh, they have to sign their contract to buy and then completion will probably be in about two weeks. So we've just got a couple of weeks uh, to be with you. Um, I shall return uh, at least for two Sundays in July and two in August to come and minister God's word to you. But Daphne and myself will probably be moving uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So our last Sunday will, could be either the last Sunday in June or the first Sunday uh, in July where we'll be worshipping with you. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I wanted to leave behind a team of people that would f be confident in ministering deliverance because it's something that we have done quite a bit of in this church over the years. Uh, five or six people responded and said they would be like to be involved in that team. There will be a meeting this evening at Café Rendezvous at six o'clock. If you indicated you would like to be part of that team, please come. If you have not responded but you want to be considered of that, we just want to hear about it, please come to that meeting this evening, six o'clock at the cafe, and we'll talk about uh, establishing a team that can continue to do deliverance uh, in this church. About three, three sessions ago, when I preached to you, I, I said that uh, I'd been ministering the Word of God for the best part of 40 years, and I'd been in church listening to sermons for, for 60 years, and I counted a great privilege to be released uh, from full-time employment in a secular sense, to be able to study and to read the Word of God more than most of you are at liberty to do. And at the end of all of this time, I would preach to you the sermons that I thought were key and most relevant for the Christian to live their lives. I've done two of these already. I've preached on deliverance, which I think all of us should consider whether we need deliverance or not. Uh, we, we can easily fall foul to the enemy, and his job is to draw us away from God and to so bind us and bruise us inside that we become ineffective as Christians. And we need to seek out deliverance if there are areas in our life where we feel we're constantly failing and falling short. So I ministered that to you. As a result, five or six people came forward to see me for deliverance. And uh, I'm sure there's no need to have them testify, but God did something quite significant in their lives. Then I spoke a couple of weeks ago about financial freedom. Financial freedom has nothing to do with having lots of money. Financial freedom has something to do with not worrying about money. And God does not want us to worry. As his children, he said, I will feed you, I will clothe you, I will give you all the basic needs in life to care for you. Don't worry about that. And those things that you feel that I'm calling you to do in ministry, whether it's home or abroad, whatever it is, however expensive that ministry is, I will always make provision for what I ask you to do. And I've proved that over all the years of my life. I haven't got 
much in my bank account, and if I did have much, I'd probably end up giving it away, or if I didn't, definitely, definitely would. And so, but we live every day knowing that God will supply and meet our needs, and there is a freedom in that. We can be free of the worry or anxiety. I want to speak today, and I don't know whether this is going to take one, two, or three sessions. I want to speak about living with the person of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, I want to read a a couple of verses to you found in John's Gospel, chapter 14. John 14, 15 to 18, it says this. It says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Take that on board. The promise of Jesus is that he would send the Holy Spirit who would never, ever leave us. Take that on board. The Spirit of Truth said the world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. As Christians, we know or become familiar with the person of the Holy Spirit who lives with us constantly and will never, ever leave us. For he lives with you and will be in you. So this wonderful Holy Spirit of God has not only promised to accompany us in life, but if we're willing and open, he comes to live on the very inside of us. God himself, the eternal Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, never to leave us. We need to go home and ponder that thought. Ponder what that means to you. He says this in 18 as well. He says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Father God speaking. It is not Jesus speaking. It is God because the Father says, I care for those that were once orphaned. Now I draw you to myself and you will never, ever, ever need to feel that you're orphaned again. Isn't it amazing that God wants to dwell within us? So exciting. What does natural man believe that Christianity is? Um, probably he would believe it is we adhere to a certain set of beliefs. Christians read the Bible, they read what's there, and they believe certain things. They also would say that a Christian is someone who follows the teaching and example of Christ. Now, if you want to describe a religion, you've got it right. Because that's what religions do. They adhere to certain teaching and doctrine, and they follow the example of the leader. But we have something far greater than a religion. We are spiritual men and women who have come into a living relationship with God. I mean, where does that put other religions? We need to respect other people, but I'm sorry I cannot respect their religion, because their religion is nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to Christianity. I'm not saying that people are nothing, please hear me, There are wonderful Muslims and wonderful Sikhs and wonderful people, but their religion doesn't even hold a candle to God. The Father and his son Jesus 
wanted to draw the world back to himself. Those that felt they should do something about their alienation from God, they tried to clean up their act. They tried to be good. They read the Word of God and they sought to put it into practice, only to discover that that feeling, that sense of alienation from God, did not go because they tried their hardest. See, whether you beat your breast or cry or ask God to forgive you, that doesn't do it. That doesn't save anybody. It doesn't change anything. Can I say this morning, if God did speak to you about something in your life and you felt a twinge of guilt and you felt sorry and you prayed a prayer that God would forgive you, can I say that was insufficient? <laughs> Give us a break, Phil. No, you have got to come to a decision that when you walk out of this place, whatever it was that God put his finger on, you are not going there again. If it's to do with a relationship or a practice or something that you did, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that thing, it isn't about crying, it isn't about saying sorry, it isn't about beating yourself up, it's about saying, Almighty God... Thank you for showing me where I'm missing the mark. By an act of my will, I choose to be obedient to you. Now pour your grace into my life so that my resolve to walk in holiness can be fulfilled in my life. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We have something special much more than religion. So as you come before this God and you try to work stuff out, what God says to you is stop trying. No one has ever been a Christian by human effort. You have to come to the cross like everybody else and acknowledge the fact whether you've sinned a lot or a little, I can do nothing to put this right. It is simply by your mercy and your grace and what you did with your son Christ on the cross that I simply say, I come as I am and I joyfully receive the forgiveness that you put on offer to me without any effort to change or to be different at all because the truth is, I can't change. And at that moment, when we come to the point of acknowledging our total dependence on God and his mercy, he clothes us with his righteousness and draws us into his family. What a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> salvation. And God bless you, Stephanie. <laughs> How do we come to the realisation? How do we come to the truth of what God's trying to convey to us? How does it come? How do we realise that we're sinners? How do we realise we're distant from God? How do we realise this stuff? It is by the, ver the personal visitation of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. We don't know that. We think it's the preacher or the book that we're reading and our intelligence and our response to academic claim. But I tell you something, no one has got saved by being smart. They've got saved because the Holy Spirit came who they knew nothing about and he opened up the truth from the very courts of heaven to our human hearts. No matter how old you are, young you are, smart you are, 
how dense you are, it makes no difference. It comes only one way, by the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to talk about this wonderful person called the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know if it's one or two or three shots I'm having at this, but I'm not going to rush it because he is the most vital person as far as we are concerned that we would even have a connection or understanding with God. And all the time he keeps himself in the background. He keeps himself hidden. You are not to pray to him. You are not to worship him. Sometimes our songs worship the Holy Spirit. Be careful be careful. We are not to worship the Holy Spirit. We are to worship God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why He keeps Himself in the background. That is why you don't know He's there most of the time, because He is hiding and He is promoting the Father and the Son. Our lives are vastly different. You must never compare yourself with another person. Listen, this is so important. Ever compare yourself with another person. Because there is no one else like you. You are unique to God. God has a program and a plan for your life. And it doesn't fit anyone else's life. And that plan that God has, the plan that the Father and the Son have drawn up for you, is communicated to you by the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the administrator of the Godhead, the administrator of the Trinity, the administrator of all that God is coming to us. So our, our lives are uniquely different, but the pattern of our journey is the same. We're all on the same road. We all started at one point and we're all going to end at the same point. The point that we started at was the cross of Christ. That place where the Holy Spirit came and revealed himself to you. At that point we started our journey. And where does the journey end? I'll tell you where it ends. It ends at the throne room of God in the presence of Almighty God. How do I know we're all on the same road? How do I know it's the same? God called Moses up a mountain and he said to him, I'm going to give you a pattern for how you enter into the very presence of God. It is a pattern that will last all eternity. It will start with the building of a tabernacle. It will move on to the building of a temple. It will move on then to a new generation, a new species of being called Christians. And the journey will be the same. If you've heard my teaching on the tabernacle, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I might get a shot on teaching you the tabernacle one Sunday. I'm not sure. So brace yourselves. We'll reduce the worship a little bit and we'll go for it. Because the teaching on the tabernacle is vital to the understanding of the journey that you're on. I want to know when I sit in my car where I'm going. I want to know the destination. I usually want to know how long it's going to be there. I want to know how many stops and cups of coffee I can have on the way. I want to know all this stuff. And now we have sat-navs. I still read maps. I understand that. I want to know the route. I want to know. You can know the route to the throne of God. You started like I did at the cross. And the destination is the throne. 
and the Holy Spirit has come to live with you and if you let him to live inside of you to walk with you every step of the way to the very throne room of God do you remember when Jesus was leaving remember what Philip said he said show us the way to the Father and that's it that's all we need to know and Jesus said I've lived with you so long and you don't realize that I am the root to the Father he was the start of the root and now he has sent his Holy Spirit to accompany us the whole way into the presence of Almighty God in 1 John 2 the first epistle of John 2 he says that our life is divided into three parts three phases of man three phases of woman three phases to our life I'll read what it says here 1 John 2 12 and 13 phase 1 I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of the name of Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven not because not because of any effort you made but because of the blood of Christ that was shed for you and you exercise faith in that death of Christ so he writes to dear children then he goes on in phase two I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one so we move from one phase of life from being a dear child to a young man or young woman of God and then phase three is I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning you are in one of these phases of your Christian walk and pilgrimage from the cross to the throne you're either a dear child you're either a young person or you're a father I need to unpack this a little more so you understand it this pattern of three I studied it once and I found 19 references to this to the the plan of our life is divided into three parts just remind you of the two of them do you remember in Romans when it says when you're desiring to find out the will of God for your life it talks about the good the pleasing and the perfect three stages if you read the story of the life of Moses he spent 40 years in Egypt 40 years in the desert looking after sheep and 40 years walking with God and God's people in the wilderness this pattern is repeated again and again and again and again for us I don't want to appear rude to any of you and call you childish or a child and I don't want to appear sexist the Bible is written in this sexist language because it just refers to males all the time and not to men and women we just have to put up with that you could, happy with that ladies you can put up with that okay I have to put up with being the bride of Christ so I have to do a bit of <laughs> bit of stuff up here to work that one out but but I'm happy being the bride of Christ so you'd be happy being referred to as him and his and you know all that male stuff so we'll bear with that so let me change these titles from children young men to fathers to elementary intermediate and advanced Christians are you more comfortable with that it's more technical elementary is actually biblical because in Hebrews it says let's move on from the elementary teachings about Christ whatever subject you're going to study whatever discipline you're going to start at any stage of life uh, imagine you're well advanced in years and you decide you're going to learn to play the piano you will be wrong to pick up a book or to go to a teacher that teaches the advanced you would have to go to someone who's teaching elementary even to get your fingers to do what they're supposed to do then you'd have to move on 
to the intermediary, and finally, you would enter into an advanced stage of something. That's true for everything in life. To jump at the advanced, you're going to fail dismally. So in the things of God, it's the same. Children, elementary, young men, intermediary, fathers, the advanced. The counsellor has been sent by the Father and the Son, that is the Holy Spirit, to accompany you through those three stages of life. So we are fully mature in his presence. He has come to equip you for heaven. That's it. And to live in heaven, we will have to be advanced. Now, if we pass from the scene of time in the elementary stage, there's some work to be done on us before we can live in the advanced place with him. No more on that. I've discovered after 60 years of walking with the Lord, he's not in a hurry. I live with somebody who's in a hurry. Because she's efficient. God's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. He takes his time. What he does, he does well. And he takes his time. There are no surprises in heaven. Did you know that? He's never gone, wow, I didn't expect that one. Whoa, we've got to do something about that. That does not happen. Because God, the eternal spirit of God, lives outside of time. Now, if you want to know more about this, you need to come and sit and talk to me about this, because I ain't going to preach this stuff. But for the God, the eternal spirit of God, who lives outside of time, he's everywhere at once. He knows the past, the present, and the future, and it's already happened. There you go, I've lost you. The future, your future, your destiny has already happened. Praise God. God fills all in all, and He is not walking through life as we are in a time frame, but He is outside of time and He lives in the totality of eternity and always has done and always will do you go you lost me that's it that's why you need to come and sit and talk to me if you want to know what I'm talking about because I'm not taking it any further when you arrive at heaven there will be no looks of surprises on anyone's face God his son angels there'll be no surprises you know what they'll say? We were expecting you. Now, you might be surprised. <laughs> but God, there's no surprises with God. He don't make surprises, and he never makes a mistake. And he walks in perfection with us. I'm going to say this is what I believe that means you don't have to believe this okay I believe that I determine the direction of my life without a shadow of a doubt I choose every day the direction of my life in the same way that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden chose the direction of their lives and so do you every day you don't get blasting voices from heaven telling you to do that or telling you to do this. You make decisions in your life. As a follower of Christ, 
you read the examples in scripture or testimonies of others and you take on board everything that he's trying to teach you about character about choices that you should make on top of that knowing that the Holy Spirit has come to live either with you or in you you yield yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God Eva said God directed her to leave I'm not arguing with that Eva like everyone else has got to work out what the Spirit of God is saying to her she has to make a decision now some Christians make decisions off their own back they're not hearing the Holy Spirit they're doing what they want to do but wise Christians wait and they ponder things with the Holy Spirit so they will hear the guidance of God in their lives the Holy Spirit is the administrator of heaven I believe he is directing my footsteps I am making the choices but he is directing my footsteps have you ever prayed this prayer oh God just show me what to do just tell me what I'm supposed to do and he hasn't <laughs> he doesn't but he does because the the direction of your footsteps is based on your study and development of understanding of the character of God and your yieldedness to the Holy Spirit let me tell you something if you always do what you want to do you're getting it wrong sometimes because sometimes the Holy Spirit directs you to do what you don't want to do and that is very reassuring because if you always did what you wanted to do and you were convinced is what he wanted to do that would be very shaky ground even Jesus himself said is there another way knowing full well there wasn't another way but could there be another way God could there be another way knowing that there wasn't many many Christians have gone roots that they didn't want to go if they were listening to their own feelings or their own heart because they knew the Spirit of God was directing them see in time your will becomes his will and his will becomes your will but it happens not at the start but at the end of our lives <laughs> see when we're children we need to be told everything get up get dressed no don't put that on put your school uniform on you're not wearing those socks again have you changed your pants <laughs> have you cleaned your teeth get down here and get some breakfast have you done your homework are the books in your bag come on get off to school then when you, what have you been doing why are you home late from school and look at the state of your shoes and what have you done to your shirt you understand that that's, that's what we are as children unfortunately Christians also are children where they are totally dependent on God directing them every step of the way our maturity of walking with God comes a lot later in our Christian life believe me definitely it does in John's idea of it he says I write to you dear children because basically all you know is your sins are forgiven and nothing else so the Holy Spirit works in your life independently he has a tailor-made plan for you do you get it that is so reassuring so if I don't understand what you're doing it's not really important or if you don't understand what I'm doing that's fine I just have to make sure that I'm listening and I'm walking and you're listening and you're walking 
and we'll have to trust God with working the whole thing out. But the pattern of the journey is the same. God's ideal plan for our lives is he gets us for about 80 years. Do you get that? He loves to get us as children. Suffer the little children, he says, to come unto me. He takes a child and he puts a child in the midst and he says, unless you become as little children, you're not going to get on in the kingdom of God. So this idea of being a Christian from childhood is what God's ideal. Now, many have only come to Christ later in life. What does that mean? It means that the work that he wants to do in us over 60, 70 years gets squashed up. You say, well, will that be substandard? It depends on you. Not on God. God's the perfect teacher. But if you've come later in life to Christ, you better be more yielded in submission so you can make up some time that has been lost where the devil has come in and has ravaged your life and established strongholds in you, they're going to take time to shift. I've had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home and being a Christian all my life. My being a dear child has lasted 30 years even up to the age of 30, in the phases that John writes about, that first phase was a fundamental understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And it took me 30 years, through my developmental years, through my teenage years, through my rebellious years, through my adolescent young youth years, to understand simply the fundamentals of Christianity. From the age of 30 to 60, I found myself being a young man, trained for battle, trained for service, trained to take the responsibility of an, an adult, a young adult, in my youth, in my strength, being a co-heir with Christ. See, Christ was 30 before he got started. And I would say I was 30 before I got started into my young adult phase, my young man phase. For 30 years then, I learned what it was to fight, to serve, to take responsibility, to be a co-heir with Christ. And now in my 60s, those responsibilities have moved from me to a younger generation and I can now walk with God and know my God walking in step with God like Enoch who walked with God and was not see you have to get to 60 before you can enter in to the walk of knowing your God you say I feel I want to get there in five minutes. Come on, I've been a Christian for three years. When can I start walking with God? Ooh, about 40 years' time. Now, I'm not saying you won't get glimpses of God. I'm not saying you won't experience something of that. But you see, he's not rushing your developmental. He's not rushing it. And why do you want to rush it? What are you rushing for anyway? What are you rushing in life to? See, Christians don't go anywhere. Did you know that? They don't go anywhere. We don't do anything or go anywhere. We grow up into God. I remember saying this to Lee. I said, Lee, we're not going anywhere. Do you realise that? He was really angry with me because Lee thought he was going somewhere. I said, no, Lee. I haven't been anywhere in my Christian life. I've just grown up into God. Doesn't that make sense? He said, we're going to win the world. Only if the Holy Spirit wants to work through you and to win the world. We're going to make such an impact on society. Only if the Holy Spirit wants to do that in you. But what he does want to do is have you grow up 
into maturity. So when we step into the presence of God, we are like him. I don't agree with when we see him, he will wave a wand over us and we will be like him. When I step off this planet, I will be who I am. Okay, and he wants me to be like the Father. I'll tell you briefly about the first 30 years of my life. You go, Phil, you left it a bit late. I'll do it in five minutes. When I was five and I sat in a Sunday school class, I don't know how long I'd sat there and listened to stories about Jesus, but one day my Sunday school teacher, and I remember her name now, Mrs Osborne, she said to us kids sat in that circle, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your saviour? I don't know if I even knew what she was talking about. I don't know. I didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. But I said yes. And she prayed for me. And I know that from that moment forward, I was a child of God. And the Holy Spirit would never leave me or forsake me ever again for the rest of my life. I didn't know that then. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Then I remember at the age of nine, I was sitting in a meeting. I remember the church now. I was sitting in the meeting and at the end of the meeting, the minister said, If you want to receive Christ, put your hand up and you'll come to the front and I'll pray with you. I remember as a nine or ten year old child, I thought, I want to do that. I want to do that. Where did I get that idea from? Oh, you wanted to show off so people could look at you. Quite the contrary, I was shy. And so I wanted to do it. What was it? It was the impress of the Holy Spirit saying, Philip, I want you to confess before all men. Your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, before I snook in through my Sunday school class, but now I had to make a public declaration. Where was the Holy Spirit from when I was five to when I was nine or ten? He was there. He said he would never leave me. He was working on my life. He was teaching me. He was showing... I didn't know anything. I didn't realise. But as I read Christian books, or I was read the book, the Holy Spirit was accompanying the person to reveal the Spirit of God to me. At 14, I had another impress of the Holy Spirit, and this was to get baptised. Where did that come from? Because the Spirit of God, you see, when he comes, he's nurturing and training and raising us up to be the people of God. And because I was young, he could take his time with me. I was 14 years of age. I cycled from Wembley to Notting Hill. For some reason, I never told my parents I was getting baptised. I do not know why to this day I did it. But I got in the waters, none of my family were there, and I got baptised. And I remember cycling home. It was like the bike. You know that bike, you see that film, and it goes and it goes in the air. You know that? You know, I forget, some film company used this, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, E.T. Oh, yeah, E.T. does that. Oh, don't watch E.T., that's naughty, okay. (laughs) But I'm flying, I'm flying, and I'm flying home. And um, I never told my parents even when I got home. But on Sunday, some people said to my parents at church, it was wonderful to see Philip on Thursday. (laughs) And I go, what? I was mildly told off when I got home why I hadn't told them. I was getting baptised. The Holy Spirit was constantly with me, although I knew nothing of his presence. See, he doesn't vaunt himself. His job is to be there, ever-present, leading us, opening our hearts and minds to God the Father and God the Son constantly, quietly working in the background. He is a counsellor. He is not a shouter. He is quietly the advocate, the comforter. He is like a dove that is quietly working with us. When I was 17 years of age, moving on, I went to a school, a grammar school. It had just just turned over to be in a comprehensive school to do my A-levels. Um, there are two things I loved at school. Do you remember what they are? I've told you before. 
Come on. Rugby. Rugby and? Maths. No, not maths. Chemistry. No, not chemistry. English. No. Engineering? No. Girls. How could you not remember? You remember? You remember? That was my only interest. To go to a Christian fellowship meeting was not on my radar. Now, I was a Christian. I was born again. I'd gone forward. I'd been baptized. But I listened. I did not go to the Christian fellowship. It wasn't cool. I had a great bunch of guys that we played rugby together. It was smashing. The Christian Fellowship lady, she didn't come to our church. She organised a meeting for someone to come and talk to the Christian Fellowship. And it so happened the person she invited was a member of our church. And she stopped me in the corridor and she said, such and such, I remember his name, Menzi Oban. She said, he's coming to preach at the Christian Fellowship on Wednesday. I'm thinking, whoa, Philip needs to be there. I have to maintain my image. Good Christian boy. So, and I go to church on the Sunday before and Menzio Ban comes to me and he says, I'm coming to your school on Wednesday to preach. I thought, that seals it. There's no way out of this now. I said to my mates that I was playing with and all that stuff, rugby and that, and, and they, were, they were big guys, 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old. You know, I remember playing rugby at school with guys who had beards. Isn't that weird? I mean, strange anyway. I said, I, I can't come with you tonight, whether it's training or something. I'm going to the Christian fellowship meeting. And do you know what they said? We'll come with you. I could not believe this. I thought, no, you won't, will you? So I go along to this Christian fellowship meeting. See, the Spirit of God is moving. Nothing to do with me. My salvation, my public declaration, my baptism... What's it got to do with me? But the Spirit of God is with me, you see. He knows what I need, when I need it. And so I go to this meeting with these guys, and I listen to this guy, Menzi Oban, and he's good. I can remember his message to this day. And that's going back a long time. And then he says, bow your head, and I knew what was coming. And he said, does anyone here want to receive Christ as their saviour? And all my six or seven friends put their hand up in the air. I looked round and I thought, oh my Lord, what is going on in this place? They said when we got out of the meeting, can we come to church with you on Sunday? I thought, no. Maybe you have a youth meeting. Of course we had a youth meeting. Did I ever go to it? No. See how good the Holy Spirit is? He didn't come and smash me round the head, tell me to sort my act out, tell me to get my life together, tell me I needed to do this or do it. He is so smart, so gentle, so loving, so kind. Why? Because he is the eternal spirit of God. God is love. I said, okay, guys, we'll all go to church. In the next year, 20 of the sixth form came to church. Half of them gave their lives to Jesus. Some of them went on the mission field and others went into ministry. Can you believe it? Of course, I was the super Christian, wasn't I? Yeah. Oh, Phil, you must have a great testimony at school, actually. Mm -mm. The Spirit of the Living God. But the Holy Spirit had changed the direction in my life. A year later, I was visiting my brother. We were having a meal together, him and his wife and a friend. And he started to speak about the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Wow, I'm up for it now, and I, you know what I mean? The Spirit of God is, is I, can, I can see him, I can experience his activity around me. It's real. I don't realise in what it is, but it's real. Before dessert was served and after the dinner was finished the Holy Spirit came into me and I was filled with the Spirit and I spoke in other tongues Jesus said the Spirit will be with you and come into you we need the Holy Spirit in us I mean you're doing fine if he's not in you and he's with you you can survive 
Millions and millions of Christians have survived because the whole truth about receiving the Spirit in was strangled by the enemy. So the church did not receive it. And now we know at the turn of the century, the Spirit of God burst out again. And he said, be filled with the Spirit. And as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God came into me at 18 years of age, I started to speak to him and he spoke to me. He spoke in other tongues through me. And that relationship has grown and grown. Now, see I was still a child. For the next 10 years of my life, I did not move into the ministry that God had called me to. For 10 years more, although the Holy Spirit was in me, he was silent because I never partnered with him in life. I didn't appreciate what was going on. I didn't know what was happening. It took me 10 years before I entered into the second phase of my Christian walk with the Holy Spirit. And in those 10 years, when I did not embrace or follow through on the Holy Spirit, the devil came and nearly tore our marriage and family apart. And all the time, the Holy Spirit was on the inside of us. And we gave him no liberty or freedom. You see, even if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he isn't going to do anything anything unless you allow him. Why? Because he is the counsellor. He is the one who was drawn alongside to facilitate what you're doing and want to do. He can't take over. He can't manipulate. He can't control. Some people talk about the Holy Spirit as though, oh, I had no choice. I had to do it. Listen, you've always got the choice to cooperate or not to listen. It took me 10 years before I was going to cooperate with the Spirit of God. But we save that for next time. Amen.